You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Zechariah chapter 4. And uh, as you turn there, we're going to go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of the scripture this morning. Zechariah, if you're looking for it, go to Matthew and then go left a few pages and you should find it. It's in the Old Testament, toward the end of the Old Testament. And again, I know we don't have Bibles in the pews. And for those of you that may be needing a Bible, um, we don't have those available today. I apologize for that. And I was going to say, somebody share your Bible, but maybe that shouldn't be happening right now either. So just listen as we read. Zechariah chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1 here. Let the pages uh, come to an end here. Zechariah 4. Okay, verse 1. It says, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me, as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. Now, uh, as we go through this, there's there's some symbolism here that that, uh, I just want you to try to pay attention to. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the imagery of the vision here to Zechariah, um, but just try to wrap your mind around what's happening. It's a... We'll get into it. I'm actually planning to preach this tonight as well in just a different application. We'll get into some more details then. But I'll start again in verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I, Zechariah, I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, and this might be our question if we saw a vision like this, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. We'll talk about him as we go, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now, in case you're wondering, just as a summary, Zerubbabel is the man tasked with rebuilding the temple. And this message is for Zerubbabel, telling him um, that God's power is available to you if you'll trust it. And not only that, you'll finish the temple. Everything's in disarray. It hasn't been, nothing's been done on it for a long time. But Zerubbabel, listen, my promise to you, you will finish the temple. It's a message of encouragement. Verse 8, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath, and this is the phrase I want to focus on, for who hath despised the day of small things? For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with these, those seven They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. And you say, okay, I got it. It's perfectly clear. I mean, there's a little bit of confusion, maybe. But the idea is this angel comes to Zechariah and says, you take a message to Zerubbabel, the builder, 
and tell him, you have my power and I'm going to help you finish the project. Just don't worry about all the other stuff, Zerubbabel. You, have, you will have everything you need to finish the house. And he asks a very important question that I want to ask, especially to moms today. Who hath despised the day of small things? Because it's easy to overlook the small things and think they're not important or they're insignificant. And really, in the end, you find out the small things, uh, enough small things together equal big things in the end. And I want to preach to you and encourage moms, especially today, about the small things. Let's pray. Father, we come and are humbled that you would allow us to meet back together. And I pray for safety. I pray for your hand of grace. I pray for you to speak, especially in this service. And I pray that your focus, that our focus on you would be the most important thing. Help us, Lord, to be, to be moved upon and uh, that you would illuminate the scripture through your Holy Spirit. Speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Around Mother's Day, this would be Mother's Day 2009, I was really second-guessing myself. And you say, well, I've second-guessed myself many Mother's Days if you have a mom or you have a wife and you've tried to buy her a gift. And, I mean, it's hard to know what to get. How in the world do you express to your, your mother or to the mother of your children how much she means to you in a way that would be meaningful? A card just doesn't seem to be enough, does it? Um, it all seems so inadequate when you think about it. And usually I land on a card and, and chocolate because chocolate covers the multitude of sins, I believe. Or a flower of some kind. And that's, I mean, it's really, I don't know what else to do. Uh, if that's all I can do to express to my, the difference a mom makes, then I'm in poor shape. And no wonder most men on Mother's Day experience anxiety. But on this Mother's Day, 2009, that was not my only source of anxiety. See, the anxiety of that year had very little to do with Mother's Day itself. My second guessing that year was about something else big going on in our lives. You see, 2009 was the year that we had decided to build a house. We were living in this area in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and we had bought some property. And with the building costs in that area at that time, it actually made more sense for us to build a house and, and than it would be to buy one in town. And it really... We had some resources available and men that we knew. And uh, the, the only problem is I had to convince my wife that this was a risk worth taking. Because you know how it is. If you buy a house and it gets inspected, you know what you're going to get. You know the price. But in building, a lot of things could go wrong. There are a lot of variables that you don't even really foresee that could change along the way. One bad decision, one bad break. And when you think of all the variables and you add in the fact that I'm not a house builder, and I have no experience in any of it. No, I, there's no wonder that she was hesitant about following me in this. But I did convince her eventually, and, and, but I really, as a husband, and you know how this goes, husbands, you needed it to go well. Uh, if you're going to convince her and you're going to put your neck on the line, you need it to work well. So we started the process, and there was buying the right property and choosing the right spot on the property, and then clearing the trees because the property we bought had a lot of trees and that was a big job and then building the road which meant we had to clear trees all the way down we had about a 700 foot driveway a road that we had to build uh, then also bringing in utilities out in the country that's not always easy and and so that took a while and then all of that though was before you even started building the house see building the house meant that we had to buy four plan books and 
and uh, scour those for months and make compromises and decide these are the features we want and, um, and it tested our marriage. I'll, just, I'll put it that way. Then think through all the details in building a house when you've never done it before. Details that pe- only people that have built houses know to think about. And, and so then you have to decide uh, who to call first and, and how to line up the jobs and who to trust and, and who's going to do a good job for you and when to call them. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of things that go into this, and I'd never done it. Getting bids, um, how early to call so someone's not waiting on somebody else. And so there's this big part, and the list was endless, I'm telling you. And then there was the part about um, saving money by doing jobs that I could do. Again, mind you, I have very little experience. I'm not a builder, I'm not in construction, and, but there were things that ever, you think, well, oh, I can do that. That doesn't look too hard. And then you get into it and realize, I should have paid somebody to do this. There's those, those certain jobs that you think are easy and they're not as easy. And all of that aside, then there are the decisions you have to make about finishes. Okay, what kind of bricks are we going to put on the house? And what kind of shingles? And, and what, what's the sheetrock texture? And what color paint are we going to put on the walls? And what kind of cabinets? And what kind of flooring and, and trim? And all of these endless appliances. I mean... We spent hours debating it all, and thankfully by that time in my marriage, I'd learned the Bible verse, my life verse, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, so that, that was my default. Let me add one more challenge into this. We had a baby due right in the middle of the project. Lacey was on the way. And you say, well, no wonder you had anxiety on Mother's Day 2009. Exactly, and I asked myself often in the process, why am I doing this? who decided this was a good idea. But none of the factors I've mentioned were the main cause of my second guessing, Mother's Day 2009. See, here was the problem. At the end of March, we had poured the foundation. The, the, the footings were poured, and, and as they were digging the footings and getting ready to pour them, I, in my mind, was thinking, something's not right. Somebody mismeasured. This cannot be the right size. And then the slab came and was poured, and I knew for sure somebody measured wrong. This is not big enough. This is not big enough for our family. See, we had poured over house plans for months and finally chose a good balance between size and efficiency. And I had in my mind how big it was going to look. I had in my mind how big it was going to be. But when the foundation was poured, it looked tiny. It looked insignificant. So I got a measuring tape, and I walked around this foundation And sure enough, it was the size it was supposed to be. It was fine. The measurements were matched up, but it looked so small that I was thinking, we're about to have another baby, our fourth child, and we're building a house too small. To add to the anxiety, you know, at the end of of March, when the slab was poured, it did an Oklahoma thing, and it rained the entire month of April. So no progress, progress was made for the entire month of April. So for a month, I'm sitting on this gnawing thought in my stomach that that we have built a house too small. The foundation looks too small. And around Mother's Day was the day that that week was when framing was supposed to begin. And I was convinced that I was going to have to grovel to my wife and tell her I've made a huge mistake. Because in that moment, folks, all I could see was the foundation. And it wasn't impressive And I'll get back to that illustration in a little bit, but that's exactly what's happening right here in the book of Zechariah. 
See, Zechariah is a prophet, and he's in Israel after the Jews had returned from Babylon, their exile, and they had come back. And they, they came back with anticipation that they were going to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But work at this point had been halted for about 15 years. See, if you go back to the book of Ezra, then you read that in chapter 3, Artaxerxes, or chapter 4, Artaxerxes had put a stop to the building of the temple because he got paranoid that the Jews were going to be uh, rebellious toward him and not pay their taxes. So for 15 years, in Ezra 3, they built the foundation. Everything's ready to start the building going up. But for 15 years, all they saw was the foundation. For 15 years, all they saw was this unimpressive-looking slab, if you want to call it. And if you go to Ezra 3, and we're not going to turn there, but if you go there, after they built this foundation, when they thought that work was still going to continue, they build the foundation, and they, they, they have a dedication of it, and everybody comes together, and all the young men are happy, and everyone's shouting, and everyone's impressed and happy, but the old men are standing in the back, and they're looking at the foundation, and they're saying, it's way smaller than the original temple. They're looking at the slab, and they're thinking, this isn't as impressive as Solomon's temple. And it says in Ezra 3 that the old men, the ancient men, were crying because they were comparing the size, the unimpressive size of the new temple to the impressive old temple that Solomon had built. And by the way, I've read that in today's dollars, Solomon invested five to eight billion dollars building the original temple. And now they're building a temple that's much smaller. It's being built by laymen. It's being built by exiles, men who probably weren't close to being as qualified as the men who built the first temple. And many are saying it's not big enough. It's not impressive enough. Instead of being excited about what could happen in the new temple, they were disappointed that it wasn't impressive. And think about this. I had to look at a foundation that I thought was too small for over a month with no progress because of rain. But these men living in Jerusalem stared at a foundation of a temple too small for over 15 years. In their minds, they were convinced this is lesser work. This is not as big It's broken down. We can't do any work. That's the mindset of Zechariah the prophet, or that's the mindset he has to deal with here in this book. He's trying to convince these people that something smaller doesn't make it less significant. The smaller temple is not less important than the first one, and to help him deliver the lesson, this angel comes to him in chapter 4 and tells him to bring a message to Zerubbabel, who's the primary builder or the architect or the engineer of the project. And again, apparently this temple too small mindset had started to affect everybody. So the angel starts with a message of hope. And I'm going to get again into more details tonight. But it starts with this vision of a lampstand. And I, I, don't, I didn't have anything that even looks like this or I would have brought it up here but a lampstand, and on the top of the lamp, there's these seven candlesticks, and, and then you've got these pipes running to the candlesticks, and you've got two olive trees, and there's tubes running from the olive trees to this big bowl that runs to the candles. I mean, I have a tough time imagining what it looked like, but, but I'll go into more detail tonight, but basically, let me just tell you this. The summary of the symbolism is that God's, God's Spirit provides never-ending supply of power when it comes to his work. The olive trees, it was almost like those olive trees were a never-ending supply of fuel for the fire to continue burning. 
That's the symbolism here. See, oil represents the Holy Spirit. That's a picture of the truth that we have God's help for, uh, there available for us at all times. Folks, you have God's help. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. He lives with you at all times if you're a child of God. He's there for your help at every moment. And we should be thankful for that today, that we have him out, his help at all times. That would have been a helpful reminder for Zerubbabel. He'd been looking at a, a temple too small, the foundation that was unimpressive for years. He'd, he'd been stopped by the government for the time being. He couldn't further the work. He needed this reminder that comes in verse 6 when the angel says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What a great promise in the middle of discouragement when Zerubbabel saying, It's too small, the work will not continue. And the angel comes and says, No, you have God's never-ending supply of help. He will help you not just to do the job, he will help you finish the job. He says in verse 7 again, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt be made a plain. He says, listen, if you want to know what kind of power is available to use Zerubbabel, uh, I have the power to turn mountains into South Dakota cornfields. That's what he says. You, know, you want to know what kind of power is available to use Zerubbabel? I can turn mountains into plains. And listen, Zerubbabel also you will one day be putting the capstone on top of the temple. He says in verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation, his hands shall also finish it. Those are the promises the angel brings to encourage Zerubbabel here. And I'm thankful, we'll get into more of it tonight, but stay with me here. There's a Mother's Day application. Uh, trust, uh, preachers can make anything applied to a holiday, okay? Look again at verse 10. So that's the that's the promise, but look what the angel says. For who hath despised the day of small things? You see, here's what the angel's telling Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, you've been staring at a foundation that looks un unimpressive. You, you, it doesn't look like the work has been made and progressing. It doesn't look like anything's happening. You think this is not going to work. You think this isn't big enough. It's not impressive enough. But Zerubbabel, what I'm telling you today is don't despise the foundation just because it looks small. It may look insignificant right now, but it's not insignificant. And Zerubbabel had to learn why the temple was significant, even though it looked small in that moment. And here's the principle that God is giving him as we transition into the Mother's Day thought here is that size does not equal significance. Size does not equal significance. We often assume that the packaging is connected to the importance. It's amazing how if you go through the store and you look on the shelves, how influenced we are by labels. I mean, a product could be the same thing in one bottle as it is in the next, but in the next bottle it looks more impressive, and that packaging convinces us to pay more. I think about it in politics. You know, you talk about in politics, it's no longer about qualifications. It is now about packaging. Who's the most charismatic person? Who speaks the best? Uh, who has the most influence? It's happening all around us. We really do tend to focus more on packaging than anything. And in this case, here's the message to Zerubbabel. It's just because it's small, Zerubbabel, just because it's less impressive, just because it's not a finished product, it's, that does not mean it's not significant. It's God's work. It means something to him. He'll supply his power to, for you to finish the work. That's the message. And it may not be as impressive as Solomon's temple, 
But that doesn't matter because God is working. It may not be as impressive as what the old men used to see, but that doesn't matter because God is involved and God's presence is what makes it matter. His involvement is what makes it significant. Size does not equal significance, folks. But when God is involved, that's all that matters. I mean, I was expecting this morning to come in and maybe have a handful of people. And I look around and I see uh, hundreds of people in here this morning. And listen, I'm thankful for it. But, but it, even if we're at 100 or we're at 1,000, if God's involved in the work and His Holy Spirit is empowering the work, that's what matters. And I'm thankful for the truth that size, in the end, size does not equal significance. The angel's message is don't assume that the season that you're going through is Zerubbabel, the season of small things, the season of small steps, the season of slow progress, don't assume that means it's not important because the season of something being small is a necessary part of the process before you get to enjoy the finished product. And I hope moms are listening this morning. See, here's another way to say it. Small doesn't mean insignificant. And some moms are going through the day of small things. So moms, tune in here. Someday, some moms are going through the day of small things. And you say, I wish it was just a day of small things. One day, I'll take that. This is more like a month of small things or months of small things or maybe it feels right now like years of small things. That's what Zerubbabel must have been thinking. See, his day of small things that the angel's talking about at, to this point has lasted over 15 years. Probably by the time the temple is done, close to 20 years be from start to finish. The point of that phrase is there are seasons of small things. There are times of life, folks, that we have to go through the small things. And we have to not despise the small things because if we despise the small things, we'll never get to the big things. So we have seasons where the progress is slow. Moms, especially, you have periods of time that the steps seem small, don't you? Plenty of days feel like you're going backwards, like you're making no progress at all. The season of small things, they seem like they'll never end. And for some of you, your season of small small things right now is you have a no sleep season. And how I, when I remember when our kids were young, they tag teamed. It's like they had a schedule, like a, a Google calendar that their name was on a different night and they rotated to make sure that mom and dad never got a full night's sleep ever consecutively. And right now you may be going through the season of no sleep, that no sleep season. Some of you are going through the diaper season. Hey, I'm just going to get real today. We had 13 years of diapers in our house. I remember when Jace finally was out of it, we were like, we celebrated. Like, this is amazing. No more diapers. And right now it seems like that's all it is for you, moms. You got a small, the season of small things. You got to go through it. Got some that are in potty training season and talk about a never-ending season. I mean, I'll be happy. We had some, we're like, I'll be happy if, if they're potty trained by the time they go to college, that'll be, that'll be a blessing. And just training season. I mean, at some point in, in every one of our children's lives, we had to, uh, at about two years old or 18 months, um, you have a come to Jesus meeting appointment with your children. 
And you have to, for, I mean, literally hours on end, you're taking time to train them and you're asking them to do something and you're trying to break their will so they comply to yours. And I'm telling you, it's a, it's, it's a season. It's hard. And you feel like you're constantly training and you're trying to get them to the place where they're submissive to mom and dad and they're, they recognize that obedience is the best thing. For some kids, they, they learn it quick. For others, they, you may be training them the entire time they're living in your house. You feel like it's a never-ending season, the training season, the discipline season. A season of small things, but, man, discipline can feel overwhelming sometimes. You, you pray at some point that your children will have the character to do what they should without having you stand over them and giving them direct oversight. And some, again, get there early, but most children, they need it for their entire time you're raising them. We have to learn that if we make mistakes, then our children certainly are going to, and we have to just be patient. But that season of discipline can seem long. And there are a lot of seasons in life that are seasons of small things. The days of small things. And moms, you can get to the point of despising the day of small things. But you have to remember a principle like the one here in verse 10 in order to keep your sanity sometimes. See, the small things aren't insignificant. Every hour spent in training matters. Every lesson taught makes a difference. Every word spoken leaves a mark. It leaves an impact. Every decision to discipline, again, will form part of their character. Every investment makes a contribution to the finished product. And moms, this morning, I want to be an encouragement to you and let you know that it, this, don't despise the process today because every moment contributes to an end product. In the moments, we get wrapped up in how heavy it seems and how often we have to repeat it and how many times a day we have to do the same thing to teach the lesson and the process gets heavy. We start to despise the day of small things but we have to remember there's a finished product at the end that if we will just simply persevere, God promises us to enjoy an, an end product someday. But the difficulty is we tend to focus on what the child isn't. And that makes us want to throw in the towel. But this verse helps us because it reminds us that despising the small things means we might miss the end product. See, this applies to moms with little ones. But it also applies to moms with grown children and dads with grown children that aren't what we prayed for them to be when they were little. See, if you're not a finished product, then you have to remember your grown children aren't either. And God's still working on them. So don't despise the, that product or that process in their lives in that moment and, and only focus on what they aren't. Consider that the small things still contribute to the finished product. Your prayer, it seems small and it may seem insignificant, but don't despise it because that wayward heart could be changed by many small prayers. That angry heart could be affected by a few small words or what you think is an insignificant note of encouragement. The point of all this is don't assume it's unimportant because just because it's small today. See, God's not finished with his work yet. In the same way that he's looking or thinking about the temple and Zerubbabel is saying it's too uh, small, it's insignificant, it's not finished. But God was involved in it. And if God's involved in it, there's no limit to what he can do in somebody's life. 
There's no limit to the changes he could make. There's no limit to him taking somebody from where they are to where he wants them to be. So it's time for us to stop thinking about what isn't happening and embrace the process of small things and give God's spirit the freedom to continue to work because he's the only one capable of finishing the job in somebody's life. If Zerubbabel had given up based on the size of the foundation, the temple would have never been built. I want you to think about that this morning. If Zerubbabel in this moment had despised the day of small things, if Zerubbabel had said, you know what, it's too small, it's a temple too small, it's not impressive, I mean, it's broken down, we haven't done any work in it for 15 years, so I'm not going to finish this work. If Zerubbabel had come to that place and said, I throw in the towel, it's not done. What, here's what I want you to think about. About 500 years later, somebody came along and walked in that temple that added some great significance to it. You know what his name was? Jesus Christ. You see, we, we get to the point where we throw in the towel and we think, well, the, the finished product isn't there yet and I'm despising the day of small things and I'm tired of the rote things that happen every day and I just got to go through the process and it's over and over and over again and I'm tired of the small things and we start to despise the small things but if we give up too soon, we may miss out on something great that could happen in that place. Jesus Christ himself, God, the Son of God himself, walked in the temple that Zerubbabel had a hand in building. And someday, listen, you might think this small child that you're trying to form and you're trying to grow and you're trying to discipline and you're trying to train and you're in a season of small things and potty training never ends and the diapers never end and every sleepless night you think, oh, I just don't want to, I don't want to carry on. Listen, someday that is a temple in which the Son of God could dwell and transform and work in and work through. And if you give up early, you might miss out on that kind of an end product. And I'm encouraging you today, moms, because we're you're typically the ones that go through the days of small things. Small does not mean insignificant. A small child becomes a temple for the Son of God to dwell in. The Holy Spirit has promised to be there to help you finish the work. If you will simply realize that the process of small things contributes to a product, potentially of something big someday. That child, that small child, boy, it's just a beginning of it's just the beginning of a foundation. And you know, compared to other people, it looks small and unimpressive. And right now, all you see is a foundation that's not impressive and the work is slow. But a foundation can turn into a finished temple that makes a difference in the work of God. I'll never forget the day the walls went up on our house. And you know, I just lacked faith, I guess, because what seemed like a small foundation suddenly looked way bigger when the walls started going up. And as the walls were framed, I remember walking around it thinking, you know, I've been fretting for a month for no reason. This might be too big. <laughs> this might actually be more significant than I originally thought. And now we're not going to be able to make the payment. <laughs> and then we added a second floor in the process, in the roof, kind of in the roof, second floor. And, 
and it got really big. And the roof went on, the shingles got put on, and it started to get dried in. And I started walking around thinking, God's, this, God's blessed us. This is amazing. And you know what? I felt foolish for despising it while it was small. I felt foolish for not having enough faith to think, you know, that the people, the counsel I'd gotten and the people that had given me counsel and direction had led me astray. I felt foolish for looking at the slab and thinking this is not impressive. And now there were plenty of other times that I despised the small things like when we were painting for weeks on end or installing flooring for weeks or any project that seemed like it would never end like they all do. But listen, all of those small things, I want you to pay attention, all of those small things that were easily despised in the moment contributed to a house that became a home for our family. Because the finished product became a place of many great memories. And a lot of important lessons learned. A lot of training sessions for sure but way more many wonderful moments. Some of my kids were saved in that house. Aaron was showing me a video just last night. We recorded two years ago in April of Jace. I was giving him the gospel in that house. And he bowed his head and prayed and received Christ as his Savior. In, within the walls of that house that at the beginning I was unimpressed with. And I thought, this is a house too small. And now I'm glad I didn't give up in a season of smallness. Because it became a place in which God did special things for our family. And mom, your child may only seem like trouble right now. And they're not sleeping and they won't learn a lesson. And they're, they're wayward maybe. But what feels like a day of something small to you isn't small to God. We see the small, but God sees what they might become. And moms, if you'd be willing to appreciate it when it's small, it's through the small steps that we have a promise to get to enjoy something later. Because God's word says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. See, truth is, someday you're going to look back and you're going to wish you could have some of those small things again. It's easy to despise, to despise them in the moment, but you'll appreciate their contribution to the whole when you get to enjoy the product. They're like steps to finishing a house. You hate the process in the moment sometimes, but I wouldn't want a house without electricity. I wouldn't want an unpainted house. I wouldn't want to live in a house without water or insulation. So to despise the steps that make it a house is to short-circuit the finished product. And when it's finished, I mean, our kids aren't grown. We have one might be going to college this fall. I'm a crybaby today. I'm sorry. She's planning to go to college this fall. 
And our kids aren't grown. They're not the finished product. And so I, it's hard for me to stand here with just with great authority, but my kids love the Lord. And I'm telling you, there are a few things more satisfying than a parent-child relationship. You spend so much time building and investing and training, and there's so many small things. And one day you realize a switch has been flipped, and suddenly you're not in construction mode, but you're in the living room enjoying what you've built. You're having fellowship. You get a relationship, a fellowship that's incredibly sweet. And as much as I love every phase along the way, nothing brings joy to my heart like true fellowship with my children on a spiritual level. But for moms and parents that right now are despising the season of small things, uh, don't skip the important steps because they all contribute to that finished product. Moms, if you don't get anything else today, let me just tell you this. What you're doing, it matters. And it may not seem like it, but it does. And every small contribution impacts the building of a temple that someday Jesus Christ might walk in, fellowship with, speak to, work through, and use to contribute to his glory. So what is the significance of small things? Well, God doesn't despise the small things. God uses the small things to get to the finished product. And if God values the small things, we should too. We have a promise that one day we'll get to enjoy something significant if we embrace the small things today. Don't despise the day of small things. Let's stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation, and I want to encourage moms to to consider letting God do, do a work in your heart today, just to encourage you. If that temple you're working on, who knows what it might become. And the season of small things may feel overwhelming, but if you'll persevere, every small thing contributes to the finished product. The process contributes to the product. And I want to encourage you today to be, moms, be encouraged that what you're doing matters. Don't despise the day of small things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray in spite of my emotion today that the message gets across. Pray that you'd use it and make a difference as an encouragement in some mom's heart today. Or maybe it's a son or a daughter that is thinking about the, the mom, their mom, thinking about all the small things their mom did for them. And maybe it's a child or, or a, a son or daughter that has despised the small things. And now they're looking at it, realizing those small things formed who they were, and they should be thanking their mom for the small things or thanking their parents for the small things. God, we ask you to work. I just want to thank you for speaking through your word today. And help us, Lord, to see where we have despised something small and forgotten that it contributes to the product. Work as you will in Jesus' name. Amen.
We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.